when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. I'm very excited to announce that yesterday, October 1st, we opened the H2H membership, and it will be open through October 7th at 9 p.m. Pacific time. What is the H2H membership? Well, you can go to fromhostagetohero.com to find out all of the details, but basically it's a place that I've created to allow you to practice the trial skills that you've been learning both with me and other people and get feedback and a supportive community. Look, There are tons of trial skills, tons of things you're learning in books, but rarely do we have an opportunity to practice and get feedback. So head over to fromhostagetohero.com to check out the membership and make sure you join before October 7th. We're going to close October 7th and we won't open again until 2021. Well, let's get started talking about today's topic in the From Hostage to Hero podcast, which is this concept of teaching versus storytelling. If I cannot tell whether you're teaching or you're storytelling in your opening or anywhere else in trial, this is a problem. And this has been coming up quite a bit in the From Hostage to Hero group. And so I wanted to do a podcast episode on it so that we could get some clarity around why this is so important and how you can fix this problem. In my opening template that I use, and I, I have a template that I teach. It's not always followed. It's not always something I think you should follow. But I do offer a template. It's in the From Hostage to Hero book. And in that template, there is nine pieces. So we start with the hook, which is exactly what it sounds like. What statement are you going to say to hook the audience? And then the next portion is called the educate the jury section. And I often just call it the teaching section for short. After the educate the jury section, we now have the defendant's story. That's the past story. I always talk about how we have three stories that we tell over trial. We have the story of the past, which is what happened prior to trial to get us where we are today. That's the defendant's story, how their conduct caused whatever uh, forced us to trial. The second story is the plaintiff story. That's the present story. That's the how is the plaintiff today after what has happened. The third story is the future story, and that's told in closing. And that is actually two stories where we talk about the story where the jury decided to help the plaintiff. And then we tell the story in the future of a jury that chose not to help the plaintiff and really clearly outline to our jurors what impact their decision is going to have on the future of our plaintiff and more importantly on the future for the community and for the world at large. So today I want to talk about primarily in that opening template the difference between the educate the jury section and the defendant's story section. Because oftentimes when I talk about the, the, the 
need for a teaching section, many attorneys will say, well, we don't have credibility to teach. And and that's why I go to the story first. And David Ball says this or so-and-so says that. But what I found in, in actuality is that you are still trying to teach. You're just trying to do it in the story. And that's what today's episode is all about, is that we need to keep the story clean. So let me say that again. We need to keep the story clean. What do I mean by that? Well, that's what you're going to learn today. Anytime we are attempting to teach, we need to not be storytelling. And every time we're trying to be storytelling, we need not to be teaching. They are two separate things in, in two very important ways. First, the content is different. And we're going to talk about that in today's op- episode. And second, the nonverbals of delivery are very, very different. And so we have to really clearly differentiate between teaching and storytelling because otherwise it becomes confusing for jurors. You know, I talk about uh, that there are three things that you're doing at trial and three things only. You're either teaching, you're either storytelling, or you're dealing with resistance of some kind. All three of those things take different types of a delivery, different types of nonverbals. When you are uh, teaching, for example, you're using good presentation skills. So you're using presentation skills like authoritative and approachable, which is what I teach in my program. Authoritative being where your uh, palms are facing down, your head is still, your voice is curling down, and this is to send messages, right? But you're also using approachable where the palms are up and maybe the head is tilted and you're you're asking the the jurors to learn or to come to on a journey with you or, or so on and so forth. So you have some approachable nonverbals. Those are called what I call presentation nonverbals. What most people don't understand is that we throw all of that out when we go to storytelling. We're no longer presenting when we're telling a story. We are now storytellers. And what storytellers do is completely different. They now take on the voices, the mannerisms, the movement of the characters. And yes, they are narrating at time to time. But what I find that most of you do is instead of narrating, you use your time as narrator during the story to teach. And that's what I want to have you avoid today. So let's go into this a little bit in depth in case at this point of the podcast you're a little confused about what it is I'm talking about. So for example, anytime you're in a story, for example, the great way to to, to try to figure out whether you're doing this or not is to start telling your story either to yourself or someone else. And if you find yourself stopping in your story and saying, now, the reason the doctor does this is, or what you need to know here is, or... What's important about this is that means you are no longer storytelling and now you are teaching. And we want to keep those separate for a few reasons. Now, one is the nonverbals we already talked about. But first, when we're talking about this connection or even why I have the educate the jury section in there and why it comes before the story is really important when it comes down to persuasion. All right. So What we use the educate the jury section for is to give context. I always say that we cannot or jurors cannot judge or properly judge conduct without context. So they need to have 
set before them some rules, some parameters, some context for what the story is going to bring before we tell the story. So we set them up by giving them, arming them with information, because again, this is the first time they've heard about a lot of these things and they need some context. And then once we have that context, we now tell a story that outlines or shows what happened or didn't happen in terms of the context we just set. So the way I like to think about this is the teaching section or the educate the jury section is what should have happened. The defendant's story is what did happen. And the two things, my friends, are nearly always (laughs) juxtaposed against each other, meaning what should have happened is not what did happen. Now, when you put it in this type of context or you put the things together like this, in terms of persuasion, what ends up happening is the jurors persuade themselves, which we know from social science is the strongest persuasion that there is. Meaning our job is not to try and persuade and manipulate and use gimmicks and strong-arm jurors into believing the things we want them to believe. It's to set the facts in front of them in such a way so that they come to the correct conclusion on their own. And yes, the correct conclusion is our conclusion because we stand on the side of the right, which I continue to remind you over and over again. So if you do it in this way, you take away so much of the need to persuade and the need to manipulate or or really strong arm the jurors into your way of thinking because this is persuasion done for you. So if we start then with the teaching section, that's going to provide that much needed context. But if we schmoozle it together with the story, it now becomes confusing and we've lost out on our opportunity to have that persuasion piece in place to allow the jurors to persuade themselves. So for example, let's say that um, you are talking about what a doctor should do uh, to perform heart surgery correctly. And so in your teaching section, you would have all of the things and the terms and the definitions there, okay? So you would talk about, um, first thing that a doctor needs to do is X. And X is important, or, or you may even start with, an X means this. This is, you're gonna hear this term a lot in trial, and this is what X means. And the reason why it's important for a doctor to do X before performing heart surgery is because if a doctor doesn't do X, then Y could happen, right? So that's really important to put in the te- teaching section because that's the tease, right? That's the foreshadowing when we're talking about stories, right? I mean, think about this in actual movies, Movies get this right. They never have teaching and storytelling together. They don't go in, you know, and and during a very, you know, heart-pounding moment, have the narrator come in and go, well, you know, what's important here is to recognize that if he doesn't make this left turn, all could be lost. No, no, no. They just show you through the story. And there's probably a situation that's happened, you know, 20 minutes before in some kind of meeting room where they're talking about now our only chance. I mean, think of Star Wars, where they're talking about how they have to go in and blow up that one thing that's, you know, their one flaw in the in the Death Star, and they've got to make it this move. They're all in the situation room talking about how they're going to do it and what it needs and how it's a one in a million chance, right? That's the teaching section. That's where they're setting up the context. Then when they actually go and they're all in their X 
flyers. I don't know what those things are called. But anyways, when Luke Skywalker and all of them all are going there and they're trying to get into that little narrow space to get in and shoot the Death Star and blow it up, they don't need to give us all the explanation of what they're trying to do and why they're doing it and why it's dangerous and what the deal is. That's good storytelling. And this is what we need in opening. But when you schmoozle the two of them together, it gets super confusing and quite frankly, super boring. So you're going to put in your teaching section, your educate the jury section, all the things that a doctor, let's just use that example, should do or what we expect doctors to do or that the rule is that doctors do. And you also want to include in that section if they don't, why it's important they do it and what will happen if they don't do it or they do it wrong, right? So that's the foreshadowing. So you're kind of perking up the juror's ears about here's what needs to happen for this to go well. And if these things are not in place, then something bad could happen, right? There's your foreshadowing and you're you're having all of your terms defined and things that the jurors are going to hear and what this means and why it's important. That's all first, okay? Then when you go to the story, you say, let me tell you what happened here. And now as we talked about, your nonverbals change and you have all kinds of things happening where you're saying, you're setting the scene and you're saying, let me take you back to May 15th, which is my birthday, so I just picked that, of 2017 and, and we're in a hospital room and here's what you would see and here's what you would hear, right? And, and, the, and the patient gets wheeled into the operating room and the doctor does X or does not do X, right? Now, right at that moment, you're showing the jury, right, through the story, but the jurors now go, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. You said he had to do X. You said that one of the ways that the, to make sure that this is safe is that the doctor does X. And now in your story, you just said he didn't do X. So now they're on alert. Now they're on alert for something bad is going to happen. Here's how I want you to think about this. It's like show and tell, but reversed. Teaching section is tell. Story is show. So again, if you're in your story section and you're stopping and you're going now, the reason why that's important that he do this is because if he doesn't, then this could happen that, that you, you've gone and you've gone over to teaching. So put that in your teaching section. Now the doctor administers uh, this medicine. Now this medicine is for this reason. Eh, that goes in the teaching section. Because if you, if you load that up ahead of time, then you really cleared the way for the jurors to really focus on, and not just focus on, but get invested in the story. Good storytelling is showing, not telling, even though we say storytelling. It's showing. A doctor comes in, he, he does this or he does not do that. When we say it that way, and we've already had the teaching section. The jurors now put A plus B equals C. Oh, shit. Something bad is going to happen. This is not good. Let me give you a non-trial example. So, for example, uh, let me say I was teaching you about or wanted to eventually tell you about a time when I really screwed up making pulla. So, pulla, let me go in my teaching section. Pulla is something that is found on nearly every Finnish coffee table um, at all times of the day, right? It is a sweet, yeasty bread. It's a coffee bread, and it would not be a Finnish household if there wasn't a loaf 
or rolls of pula in the house at all times. It is a very traditional thing. And the, and the closest way that I can describe what pula is, it's like challah bread, Jewish challah bread, but it's got sugar on top where most challah, at least the challah I've seen, does not. So this is something that I have been learning my whole life to make. I never make it as well as my mom or my cousins or my aunts, but I attempt to do it. And so what's really important, notice I'm going to teaching now, about pola is, is a couple things so that you don't get it wrong. It's really all about the yeast. So the first thing that you do when you make pola is you put the little yeast uh, pellets or whatever those things are, those little granules, into a metal bowl, and then you put about a half a cup of lukewarm water. Now, this dissolves the yeast and gets it activated. Here's what's important. You do not want that water to be scalding hot. Why? Because if it is scalding hot, it will kill the yeast and your bread won't rise. Now, after you see that yeast start to bubble you know that it's being activated and you can start adding some sugar and that will help the yeast continue to activate. And then after that gets kind of schmoozled together, you start adding your lightly beaten eggs and then you go to um, flour. Now here's the second thing about pola. You do not want to add too much flour. If you add too much flour, here's what could happen. It gets really stiff and dense. And we don't want that. We want a nice, light, yeasty bread. So if you put too much flour in, that's you have to kind of see how you're doing it. But anything more than seven cups, you're at risk of having too of a, a yeasty or dense bread. Now, as you're adding that flour cup by cup, about halfway in, you're going to melt two sticks of butter and you're going to put that in. Now, here's what's important here. You do not want to overheat the butter because that's another thing that could kill the yeast. If the butter is too hot, then it'll also kill the yeast and your bread will not rise. Once you've got that, you put it on a floured board, you knead it a little bit, put it into uh, your braids or your rolls, let it rise and boom, you uh, bake it and it's good to go. All right, there's some other steps, but I'm just making it short. Now, let me tell you what happened in my case. Now, I want you to notice how I'm going to juxtapose the story against the teaching section. So I go to make pola, and I start to heat the water, and I put the yeast in there. And I pour the water in about halfway after pouring in, I put my finger in there, and yikes, it's so hot, it almost burns my finger. So I'm watching it, and it's not bubbling, but I decide to go for it anyway. So I continue, and I, I put in the flour. I'm, I'm about eight or nine cups in when I realize shit, I got to make sure that I melt the butter. So I put the butter in and I'm watching the flour kind of mix. It looks a little little dense. And I go back and I notice that the the butter is absolutely bubbling in the microwave. But I got, what the hell? And I throw it in. And guess what? Two hours later, I've got flat lows. Now, notice how <laughs> you knew all that was coming because I'd already set up for you that you don't have too hot water. You don't have too hot butter. You don't put too much flour in. And I kind of rushed through my story. I could have made a much more compelling story. But you get the point is that if I would have said, now here is what I'm doing. And oh, here's why this is important that I'm doing it is because if I don't do this, and this is going to happen. Okay, back to my story. So I go and I put this in and and then I start adding the flour. Oh, here's the, here's the thing about the flour. You don't want to put too much flour in because if you do, it's too dense. All right, back to my story. So that's not good storytelling. 
Now, granted, what I just told you in terms of my polo story wasn't a great story either. I didn't set the scene or all the other great things. But this is not a uh, podcast on good storytelling. This is a podcast on how to separate teaching from storytelling. And so what I, what I really want you to get from this episode is that anytime you are explaining or defining in your story, that is a sign to you to take it out of your story and put it in teaching First, again, because one, it keeps your story clean, and two, it helps us persuade. Because if you put that in your teaching section, then you the jurors are now primed to listen for someone doing it right. And as you tell your story of someone who did it wrong, you don't have to say, "Here, look, they did it wrong. The jurors know because you've put it in teaching. And they're like, wait a minute, that is not how you're supposed to do this. But when you keep the story clean by having that teaching section first, it also makes for more compelling storytelling, which I'm going to do another podcast on and talk all about storytelling and all the great things you can do in stories. And I'll pick a better story than my polo making story. But in today's episode, what I really wanted you to get is keep teaching and storytelling separate because it will really assist you both in terms of persuasion and in terms of the jurors being able to follow and in terms of it making a much better story. So we'll continue this in the next episode when we talk more about compelling storytelling. See you then. And if I don't see you then, make sure you at least join up for the H2H membership. It's open through October 7th. Can't wait to invite you and welcome you as an H2H crewbie. See you soon. Bye. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today, and until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.